Welcome, welcome, and welcome back for those who've been here before to Kvetching on the Couch, the podcast, where myself, Ash, and my co-host, Laura, chat about mental health topics through a Jewish lens. In today's episode, Weight Stigma in the Jewish Community, we'll be fetching about how weight bias shows up in the Jewish community, both in our personal lives and histories, and in the larger context of the Jewish experience. We have an incredible guest joining us, and of course, we can't wait to hear if anyone else out there has some comments or experiences to share when we reach the open call portion of the pod. And just a content warning for today, and as always... This topic, this, topic. Lend it- this topic may lend itself to some triggering information. So please be cognizant of your well-being and take a break if you need to. And as always, please remember that this podcast does not take the place of medical or mental health care from a clinician or provider. You can reach out to professionals if you need support. So- Well, good evening, everybody. Hello there. I'm Ash. I use they, she pronouns, and I'm an eating disorder and trauma therapist. I specialize in the Jewish community and weight stigma, and I have lived experience of an eating disorder and childhood trauma, and I do community advocacy work for the Jewish community and fat positivity. And I'm Laura. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a mental health and suicide prevention advisor to high schools with a professional background in special education and equity work. My personal background is in fighting anti-Semitism, advocating for fat and body liberation, and eating disorder and addiction recovery through the lens of my personal experience. So with intros done, we are going to dive in. This is a long-awaited episode. Um, We've had people reach out to us telling us that they are excited about this episode in particular. Once we put out the topics for our next few, it is also um, being recorded during Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Um, So it is highly topical um, to a lot of what you may have seen circulating your social media feeds this week. And with that in mind, I want to make sure we check in first. Ash, it's Eating Disorder Awareness Week. We're about to talk about weight stigma in the Jewish community, which is a deeply personal topic. How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, it was actually a happy accident that that happened. Mm-hmm. Like, it was completely <laughs> unintentional. Um, but definitely a, a happy accident, serendipitous, in a sense. Um, you know, I, I think that, as we discussed previously off mic, you know, when we were developing the, the show, the show's episodes, we talked about how much personal experience we have in this area and what we wanted to sort of bring to the conversation from that lens in particular. Um, and I, I think this is an area where lived experience really should shine if possible. I mean, that's kind of always our goal, but um, definitely in, in, in this episode, I'm, I'm really uh, Excited isn't quite the right word because I know these are hard topics for both of us, <laughs> but I am looking forward, I guess, to hearing what you have to say and um, 
you know, any experiences you might want to share. And of course, you know, hearing, hearing from Rachel when she hops on. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing well. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm excited to focus on this topic as well, because there's just a lot going on in the world right now and it can feel pretty overwhelming, um, and out of control, yeah. which, you know, talk about eating disorders. Uh, <laughs> so I, I do think it's, it's appropriate. It feels like a good use of our time. And um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing what, what comes out of it. What about you? Yeah, I think a lot of what I'm feeling is very parallel to what you're feeling. I um, honestly, when we first started creating the roadmap for this podcast, um, and we talked through some just topics that felt important to us. Um, this, you, you suggested this topic and I had never up to that point um, examined the weight stigma I had been subjected to through a Jewish lens. I had never thought about it. And we, we processed that together in real time. I said, like, I have fully never thought about that. And now that I am, here's what's coming up for me. So I just really appreciate um, the opportunity to do that. Yeah. And actually, it's it's so funny you say that because, you know, I talk about this a lot with my patients who are Jewish and who also have eating disorders. And almost all of them will say, I have never thought about it that way. But oh, my God. Mm -hmm you're so right. <laughs> and, and I don't say that to be like, I'm so right. But, but more just like, if you're feeling that way, like if, you know, if this conversation ends up resonating with you and you end up kind of feeling some things that you didn't realize were there before, uh, um, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> I got distracted. <laughs> um, us get distracted. <laughs> <definitely> distracted. Um, <laughs> In any case, yeah, it's it's something that I don't think a lot of people think about. I don't think a lot of people consider it. But when you really sit with it and and start unpacking it, it starts to be pretty pretty apparent, like pretty obvious, in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I really I remember weeks ago leaving that planning call and just being like, I was in there, just in that headspace working through my first reckoning with this as a topic for days um mm. and I I really I just kept coming back to it so I am excited that this episode is finally here um I'm excited for the um little community that we've built on call in to be a part of this it's you know really exciting watching people discover this podcast and um find conversations that I haven't seen happening in other spaces, um, you know, with a more introspective approach to um, yeah, just Jewish identity and Jewish conversations. So I, I just really yeah. am excited for this topic in particular. I think we'll be able to reach a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, in particular on that subject too, I, I was texting you the other night and I, and I was trying to make like a little doodle, um, of like fat phobia in the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I texted Lauren, I was like, 
is this going to be like, could, could this be a good doodle? And before Laura even got back to me, I was like, the answer is no, I cannot, I cannot sum this up <laughs> in like little bite-sized pieces. I just, it's so hard to um, nugget it down, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's why we wanted to talk about it in this kind of context, because social media can be so um, limiting in, in how we express and how we communicate. Um, so in any case, um, is there any, uh, any particular discussion topics that you wanted to kind of slide in here before we bring Rachel on? No, I honestly think that the longer we can have Rachel as a part of this, um, conversation, the better. I think that she has a lot of insight to offer. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Okay. So... I believe, yes, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm scrolling down our script just to be transparent for those listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's shift to the call-in portion of the show. In order to call in, you just have to request on the episode live page, and you can also leave comments. Uh, so let us know if you're having an, any tech trouble, and we'll try to assist, though no promises, because neither of us are super techie savvy. Um, but, <laughs> but before we open up the call and portion to everyone, uh, let's give a warm welcome to tonight's guest, Rachel. We're not sure if it's Tuckman or Tukman, because as we've experienced on this show a few times <laughs> now, we only know a lot of these people by their written name. And so we've never heard it pronounced. And so we're butchering people's names. But Rachel will tell us how to properly pronounce her last name in a moment. Uh, she's a licensed mental health counselor with over 10 years of experience. And she's worked with diverse populations, including but not limited to incarcerated women, uh, children and adults with developmental delays, kids with behavioral issues, struggling adolescents, and women experiencing infertility. Rachel is a health at every size aligned clinician who dedicates a lot of her time out of office to educating parents and kids on the importance of body respect and behaviors that truly honor our health. All right, I'm just gonna unmute you. You can introduce yourself, Rachel. Hi guys, thank you so much. I'm I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for being a part of this episode. Thank you. Um, Okay, so I mean, yes, that intro is pretty much professionally a good summary of of what I do. And I guess just a little bit of my background in terms of who I am in the Jewish community. Um, Yeah, yeah, I grew up, you know, modern Orthodox. Um, I grew up in Toronto. So I have, you know, sometimes people are like, what's your accent? And it's like a little (laughs) Canadian in me mixed with like New York. Um, But I grew up in the Toronto Jewish community, um, you know, in a a modern Orthodox home. My parents were actually not religious um, when they were younger and they became religious together. But we were just like a regular, you know, like going to shul on, you know, on Shabbos and, you know, holidays, like nothing, you know. But we were like movies and just in the world, educated, all that kind of, you know, fun stuff. Um, And then I met my husband in a camp actually upstate New York called HASC, Hebrew Academy for Special Children. It's a camp for kids and adults um, with developmental disabilities. And we met there. That's kind of like the stereotypical, like meeting in HASC, like the cute little (laughs) Jewish couple, you know. Um, And we live now in the five towns in Long Island. And 
you know, again, I'm very much in the Orthodox community, meaning like we are Sabbath observant, we are kosher. Um, you know, my husband like prays every day. That's kind of where we are. My kids are in Orthodox schools. Um, we're very much like very, I guess, like on the outside, we look very religious, um, you know, to anyone who I guess is kind of just like identifying as Jewish or non-observant. Um, but I like, I always say, I feel like sometimes people might look at me and be like, what religion is she practicing? Because I feel like I have a very different outlook on religion and outlook on spirituality. Um, and Oh, no. Rachel, we can't hear you anymore. Um, she's on too. Oh, oh, can you oh hear there me? she is. Yes, oh, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So yeah, I don't see it as dogmatic as most people do. I question a lot. I push back a lot. I challenge a lot. Um, you know, some people appreciate it. Some people don't. But I, I really want to be a voice within my community. And I work specifically in my community. People always ask me like, oh, isn't that annoying to work with people that you, you know, like in the Jewish community that you see around in your neighborhood happens to be where I live. It's such a giant community that I don't see the people that I work with, but I specifically want to do the work in this community because it's what I'm a part of, you know, where my kids are growing up. And I feel like this is where I want to see the change. I want to see us talking about these issues and making changes. And I'm sure you guys have noticed this and I've talked about it before, the Jewish community is always like 10 to 15 years behind the regular world in terms of like acknowledging that we have a problem. We have a problem <laughs> with sexual abuse. We have a problem with weight stigma. We have a problem with unhealthy marriages. Like we have a problem with kids and using drugs. Like they're always kind of waking up 10 to 15 years after everyone else and saying like, oh, okay, religion is not a protective factor. Um, so I'm really passionate about talking about the issues bringing awareness to mental health, breaking stigma, um, and really making positive change, you know, and making, making us just a stronger, better, more sensitive, more aware community. Wow. Thank you for taking the time, Rachel, to introduce us to you more personally and introduce anyone mm -hmm. listening to you more personally, because the work that you do and your connection to faith and community is so deeply personal and something that really stuck out to me as an overarching theme um, of everything you just shared is I, I think questioning and pushing back and speaking up and speaking out is inherently Jewish. It's something that I, I, you know, I really tie mm -hmm. that. I, I had a very different um, journey to my own faith and embracing of Judaism um, than yours. And it was rooted in that questioning that had to happen for me yeah. in order to be able to accept Judaism as my yes. religion and as more than my ethnicity um, yeah. that had to happen. So I appreciate the ways that you're prompting questioning and reflection within your community. I think that that's, yeah. you know, neither Ash nor myself are modern Orthodox. Um, mm -hmm. So it's an additional perspective that you bring by coming on the pod tonight. Yeah. And I agree. It totally is a Jewish value. Like the entire Talmud is questioning and pushing Questions. back and arguing. Right. But it's so interesting how somehow we've kind of morphed you know, I find that we kind of have more Christian values sometimes where it's like we don't question, Absolutely. we just do. 
you know, things are certain things are sinful where it's like, wow, those are really just not Jewish values. So, um, you know, so I do find, you know, overall, like I said, I think in the community that I'm in, it is very much appreciated my -hmm. questioning and not just accepting things at face value. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I think that it is appreciated, but there are times where, you know, there are certain communities I know, like I am not welcome. They don't want to hear from me, <laughs> you know, yeah. because I'm, I'm loud and, and they don't like, yeah. that, you know, yeah. but, um, but for the most part, I've been received so well. And I get so many different kinds of Jewish people who follow me, who message me and say, you know, I live in Satmer Williamsburg. I am like yeah. a Hasidic woman, you know, mm-hmm. and like everything you say, like resonates with me so much. And thank you for opening mm-hmm. my eyes to this. Or, you know, I live in Monroe, you know, and like just from all over. I live in Belgium. I live in, you know, and I'm part of this this mm-hmm. Hasidic community or that ultra Orthodox community. So I, there are definitely people from all kinds of, you know, non religious, religious, modern Orthodox, more than me, less than me, that are, mm-hmm. you know, hearing hearing my messages. And, and that's really, I feel like I want to speak to every Jew, but again, specifically really my community, I see, I see what's going on here and it's, it, yeah. it needs to be talked about. Yeah. Um, I mean, can, can you speak to that a little bit more in terms of just the weight stigma that you're seeing and, you know, whether you want that to be like personal anecdotes or research, that's up to you. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So in when I say like my community, I, I am thinking mostly the community that I'm working in right now, which is kind of like the New York area, the five towns. But I do I also want to point out that it's interesting that where I live, at least like in, in my little bubble here, but like people think that the five towns like has a really big problem with materialism and, you know, being obsessed with like you know, external appearances and whatever it is. And, and it's so interesting to me that people give the five towns a bad rap because I feel like I see that in, in every community that I'm in. I see it sure. in Timok, I see it in Cleveland. I see it in, I saw it in Toronto when I was growing up. Like it's everywhere, you know, every community has these issues, but because my community is so massive, we seem to have more of it because there's more people, right? Sure. So you know, when you have a hundred people versus a thousand people, like you're, you know, versus 10,000 people, like, of course, there's going to be more of the problem right. because there's more people. 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 Yep. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So people yeah. And they have people problems. That's right. So, so when I'm talking about my community, I don't want people to be like, oh, see, it is the five towns. They have a massive mm-hmm. problem. It's like, no, it, we have the same problem as every other community. Else. Yeah. We just have a lot of people here, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's really why people think it's more prevalent, but it's it's not, you know, like every Jewish community has this. So what I see a lot, it's so interesting because I even fell into this work like accidentally. Like I wasn't mm. someone that was in, I, I didn't even know what diet culture was. I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about weight stigma. Um, and I started having like young girls in my office, like fourth, fifth grade. And they were coming in and I had like a little like snack bowl, like candies or whatever. And I would have like eight, nine-year-old girls be like, can I have? And like mm-hmm. shoving them in their pockets. And I'd be like, well, why are you shoving it in your, like you could have one here. And like, you don't have to shove. Mm-hmm. If my mom sees that I have this, like I'm in big trouble. I'm in big, I can't have, mm-hmm. she said I have to lose weight. I can't. Mm-hmm. It was like constantly happening. Like young girls being obsessed with their bodies and their mothers putting them on diets. And they weren't in my office for that. They were in my office for anxiety or social issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I started seeing a lot of this coming up. Um, mm-hmm. and so it, it started really bothering me. I'm also raising three girls. 
Um, and, you know, in my home, like I've never spoken, even when I was struggling with my own body image, I never spoke about dieting. I never spoke about my body in a negative way, just because I remember I grew up in a house where my mother struggled with her weight. My sister struggled with their weight and, and I was the skinny sister. So I always felt a lot of shame about my body because I felt like I knew that I was making them feel bad because I was the skinny sister you know, and they'd be like, Oh, Rachel, you're so lucky. You don't have to worry. You don't. And I remember thinking like, I'll never talk about my body. Like I just, I never want to do this in front of my kids. So mm-hmm. I'm really very careful about it, but um, you know, I know it's out there. And so I just kept seeing it come up in my office, these girls talking about, I'm not allowed to have, I'm not allowed to this. And then when I would have girls coming to me who were like in that dating stage, right. In the community that I'm in, girls start dating pretty young, you know, a little too young in my opinion, but young, like They come back from, you know, they go to high school, they spend a year in Israel, and then they come back and they're like, all right, quick, like, I got to get married. Otherwise, I'm going to be like 40 years old with cats and like, oh, my God, that's the biggest tragedy, you know? So, um, and and cats are great and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, this is like their worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. So they start dating at around 20 years old and there becomes this obsession with like, I have to be thin. I have to straighten my hair. I have to you know, lose weight. I ha- and there becomes this like massive pressure and push and stress to look a certain way because for some reason there is this mentality that the sea of boys is very, very small and mm-hmm. that there's tons of girls and that if they don't find a guy, like then they're going to be alone forever. So they really have to snatch him up while he's available because like with each guy that gets, you know, engaged and married, it's one less for them, you know? Mm-hmm. There's just this incredible pressure in this dating world. And by the way, it's not even, it's not just like ultra Orthodox. Like it's again, modern people like me who, you know, I happens to be, like I said, I met my husband in camp. It was very casual. It was like such a beautiful way to meet him. I wasn't in that world. Thank God. But um, this is how people date now. You know, it's, it's mm. becoming more and more prevalent that they don't want to meet in these social settings. Like they're getting a little bit more, you know, like I'm saying religious in quotes that like we don't meet in, in casual social settings. So there's this, you know, intense pressure to look a certain way and be a certain weight. And then we have these matchmakers who are then perpetuating that. Yeah, guys don't want fat girls. No, if you want more dates, you're going to have to lose weight. You know, what can we do about X, Y, and Z with your appearance? And so I just kept seeing that come a lot, come up a lot in my office between like the little girls struggling with wanting to eat things and their mother saying no, and their own mothers struggling mm-hmm. with their weight. And then these girls in the dating world, these young women in the dating world, struggling with their bodies, you know? Um, and so I, I just, it was starting to make me angry uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, and like, that's usually like my how I I operate, like I get mad. (laughs) And then I, (laughs) and then I'm like, then I'm, that's it. You can't stop me. Um, And so I started, I I feel, I think I saw like Tiffany Rowe one day started talking about diet Mm. culture. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, wait, I think this is what I'm seeing in my office. And then I started Mm. learning about it. And Mm. I was like, yes, this is this weight stigma and this fat phobia. And, you know, I started realizing myself, like what kind of beliefs that I was holding and, and all this stuff that I had around weight growing up in a house, you know, with a mother who had weight loss surgery and who struggled with emotional eating, you know, because of her trauma stuff. And, you know, really growing up in a house that, that being in a big body was like really a, a horrible, scary, terrible, sad thing, you know? 
Um, so I, I really started like doing my own work around it and, and you know what it is. And you guys understand, like once you see it, it's everywhere. You can't unsee it, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, something I like to say is that you don't really know what diet culture is until you really know what diet culture is, um, that there really is no in between. Um, and I think you've touched on something really interesting and important, Rachel. Um, I mean, I know when you were speaking at different points about um, just like the control of food and how that can often come from a mother onto girls um, in particular. Um, And I I think about how it's something I I do personally resonate with. And um, when you were saying, you know, that you, um, grew up in a household where being in a larger body was viewed as something you really didn't want, um, viewed as an evil. I definitely resonated with parts of that too. And it's, you know, deeply rooted in my lived experience. And, um, you know, my, my own mother's relationship with herself definitely, um, impacted my relationship with myself and she has since done a lot of learning and unlearning and we have a lot of really um important conversations but what i i do think comes up for me when i'm listening to you is an interesting theme that really ties into the jewishness of so much of this is controlling food versus food as love that in Judaism, food is such an expression of love. We have traditions and holidays that are so um, centered around food and food as community and food as family. Um, And food is a part of a lot of our rituals and a huge part of our history um, when we look at the origins of certain foods. And I'm thinking a lot about, um, about that, I guess dialectic between those two things, controlling food and food is love. And I was wondering if you or Ash would like to speak to that at all. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let you pop in there first, Rachel, if you have anything. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that is something that I often bring up when I'm talking in my community, like when I'm giving talks to high schools or to parents, how food is such a central part of every holiday. Every holiday has a food. Mm -hmm. Passover has matzah and Seder foods and, you know, Shavuot like has dairy foods, cheesecake and, you know, and, and Hanukkah has latkes and chocolate coins and, and not just like foods, like real, like delicacies, you know, Mm -hmm. foods that like, that are real comforting and, and oily. And, you know, there's, it's not like salad and, you know, kale, like we are really like, a, a religion that oh, sorry we are really a religion that like we really believe in the pleasure yeah. of food, mm-hmm. you know That's and that true. and it's almost commentation season yeah commentation <laughs> right and sending out and sending out those bags of goodies like those mono right that you give out mm-hmm. on Purim like we are people that enjoy our food right and not just food wine a lot of the songs that we sing on holidays and 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 Sabbath on Shabbos like we're talking about meat and wine and fish. Like we are people that we're foodies. Jews are foodies. We are, we were like the original foodies probably. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, we love it. Yeah. And, and we, and, and it's so much a part of our comfort and, you know, and our spirituality and we believe it enhances our yeah. spiritual experience. Eating is, and again, eating is a spiritual experience. We say a blessing before we say a blessing mm -hmm. after, like there are specific blessings for specific foods. And when you're having something special, like that you haven't had, you have a special blessing that you say, like on a food that you rarely ever get, because this is such an experience, you know, like mm. on Rosh Hashanah, we have those new fruits and new foods. And mm. like we are people that believe in, in enjoying life in every way, physically, spiritually. So to me, when people are restricting themselves and dieting and villainizing food and that they're stressed, okay, and this is a big thing also, I know so many women in my community and my friends as well who cannot stand the holidays because it's a massive trigger for them. Oh my God, I can't, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to control myself. I'm going to gain so much weight. I can't stop eating. You're going to have to roll me out of my parents' house. I'm going on a diet after mm -hmm. every holiday and celebration, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, wedding is a source mm -hmm. of stress for them because it means either fitting into an outfit or not fitting into it and being around food and they can't trust themselves around it. And mm -hmm. it, and, this is our reality as observant, as Jews, you know, as Jews who observe holidays, as Jews who, this is our culture, we can't get away from it, you know? It's not something we want to get away from, because like I said, it, it is so centered to who we are. We believe that it, that it is so much a part of celebrating the holidays, having those foods, you know? Um, and even to the point that we know also, like in the days of the temple, like how did we serve God? We brought him. He had an awesome barbecue going on in the temple, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. We brought stuff for, like, the high priest. We brought cows and whatever, and they were grilling, like, a mad barbecue there. So this is not something that, like, you, you know, that is new or, like, it kind of was, like, a cultural influence from, you know, a societal influence. Like, this is how we've always been, you know? Yeah. Um and so somewhere along the lines, you know, we have become very afraid of food and, and holidays. Like I said, I, I have so many women who hate it, which also makes me so sad, like that the joy has been taken away from a holiday because it's like, I can't stand that I'm going to be at a table for two days, three days in front mm -hmm. of food and I'm not going to be able to control myself. Um, yeah. And so I, I just that, you know, that's that is not a religious value to be restricting and, you know, um, and afraid of food and and. And to be hating, you know, things that should be bringing us so much joy and comfort and connection. Um, so, you know, that's that's what I see. Yeah. I mean, and, and the other thing, too, that came up for me as you were speaking, Rachel, is is the the, the deep contrast, the intense contrast of, of food and food being a part of Jewish tradition and Jews being foodies, right? With yeah. the lived reality that for many Jews and for many generations, we have been without. We have not right. had food. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's, you know, a pretty, pretty long history of famine and food insecurity. Yeah. And so in some ways, I, I've often wondered if, if our affinity for food as a culture is in some ways rooted in, in, a, in a scarcity mentality to some degree. Um, mm -hmm. And there's also, you know, we talk about an eating disorder work about the intense um, impact that prolonged restriction has on somebody. And then if you, if you expand that out into like an intergenerational trauma perspective, 
you know, we have generations of Jews who've been undernourished either through persecution and discrimination or now through choice to some degree, but that's a questionable word there, but <laughs> by diet mm. culture, right? And by by white supremacy, really, if, if we're really going to dig into it, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's such like a... It's an intense dichotomy, I think, is what I'm what I often sit with. It's just like this push pull that I think we're often really stuck in. Yeah, that's such a great point also, because some of the clients that I work with who are raising kids now have Holocaust survivor parents. And some of those Holocaust survivor parents had that like finish your plate. We didn't have any food, you know, like that mentality. Or even if they didn't say it, they knew growing up with those parents what their parents went through you know they knew you know that they were starved and you know so there is definitely mm-hmm. that piece as well that scarcity and knowing what we went through you know and and not just through the holocaust in other periods of time where you know where yes there was that right. scarcity and and you know um right. and i always think about in um victor frankel's book in man's search for meaning mm. i don't know if either of you read that he taught and it wasn't even like he wasn't talking about this because of diet culture or trying to talk about, you know, our relationship with food. But there's one point in the book where he's talking about um, how they were, you know, they were working one day on the railroad, they were like, you know, uh, digging something or whatever it was. And he said they hadn't eaten in God knows how long and they were literally starving, they would get these morsels of bread and like watered down soup. And he said, and all we could talk about while we're digging, he's like, none of us were like foodies, none of us even knew how to cook. All we could talk about was food. We were developing recipes. We were upset <laughs> with it. You know, he's like, nobody was thinking about sex. No one was thinking about anything else. All we wanted was food. He said we were, we were so starved from it. And he says in the book, like, when you can't, when, when the, it's not available to you, when you are restricted from it, when it's not even, he's like, it's all you can think about, you know? And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. thank you, Victor Frankel, for talking about diet culture, the effects of dieting and restriction without <laughs> even knowing it here, right. you know, yeah, but he, he said like, we were like literally coming up with recipes and he's like, and these, they didn't know how to cook these people, but it was mm-hmm. all that was on their mind. So yeah, like mm-hmm. that mentality, you know, for sure, when you're then raising kids with all that other trauma coming out of the Holocaust, right. being obsessed mm-hmm. with food, or again, just, you know, being afraid to, I have friends also whose grandparents, you, they could not throw things out in front of them. And it's interesting. My husband always says he went to Halb Hebrew Academy in Long Beach when he was a kid over here in the five in Long Beach at the time. And he says he remembered they had a, a principal, Rabbi Friedman, very beloved man. And he passed away a few years ago and he was a Holocaust survivor. And he said he remembers during lunch, the kids would throw stuff out and the, and Rabbi Friedman would be like going through the garbage, taking out the apples washing them like it the kids were so like taken by it like they realized like oh my gosh and they knew he was a survivor he says it still sticks with him they all talk about it like all his classmates who he's friends with now like they say remember like we would see rabbi friedman like taking stuff out of the garbage and he would be like who threw this out this is a full apple you know because for him you know growing up in the holocaust like who could throw out a full apple and he said the kids really, like, it was such a powerful lesson for them. He wasn't even like, don't throw it out. They just right. would see him doing it. And it, and they were like, wow, this is so powerful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely that piece of the Holocaust, um, you know, that that kind of period of time where 
you know, there was all of that, you know, that starvation, that lack of access mm-hmm. to food. And then, yeah, passing that down to, you know, generations after that. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I definitely, I, so much of what you're saying is resonating with me um, that I, my grandmother was a hidden child in the Holocaust and mm-hmm. uh, grew up in that landscape of war and persecution. Um, and she is a living survivor and I have the ultimate privilege of getting to have dinner with my grandmother. And, um, you know, I, I just think about where everything gets frozen. Like every, every non-consumed bit of food at the end of us having dinner together gets packaged and put in the freezer. And while that's not, um, you know, I'm a pretty waste conscious person myself. And like, I will often take to the freezer to um, prolong the life of something. That's not what I see. Um, And I, you know, we'll be sitting just recently, my partner and I um, went and we picked up dinner from a restaurant on the way and we sat around her kitchen table because we're not going to restaurants right now. And we, um, we, you know, had a meal together with my grandmother and I ate until I was full. And my grandmother looked at my remaining food and she said, that's all you're having. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm full. Like, mm. I'm, I'm good. I was like, I'll just take, I'll take it home. Like I'll take it home and eat it. And she was like, but that's all that you're having. And I haven't <laughs> eaten any you know restrictive quantity of food I just ate and didn't want to be eating anymore so I stopped um and it was just a very you know this it's not new um and at the same time I have definitely felt I I now um the landscape of my incredible body that keeps me alive and sustains me has changed so much over the course of my life. And I hold privilege as a small fat person at this time in my life. And that was not always the case for me. Um, and I think about it's, it's so interesting to me because I see that scarcity mindset and how it shows up um, through my grandmother. And I'm also aware that at some points in my life, my grandmother um, was one of the most vocal proponents of weight loss as mm-hmm. the key to happiness, the key to my happiness. And it's just such a, it's, it's interesting because that's raising so much for me. Yeah, yeah. it's such whiplash because it's like, I've had that exact, as you were describing that story, Laura, I was thinking of like one of the exact same kinds of experiences I've had and then the flip right? Like, and it it actually, it's the other way around, right? When I was young, it was, and I think this is what you were saying, Laura, when it was young, it was, you're eating all that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now it's, it's like, you can't win. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why is anyone talking about my plate in the first place? Just leave me be. Yeah. Oh, if only, if only we all mm-hmm. focused on our own plates. But um, I just, I think it is, I, it's so interesting because I mean, Ash, I think whiplash was the perfect word that I, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, 
firmly and fully believe that the people in my family in particular who have made comments about my body over time that hurt me viscerally um, actually had a positive intent. I can believe that even if the impact wasn't positive. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I can believe that they equated lower weight with happiness and that that's inconsistent with my understanding of the world and certainly of my reality. Um, But it's just, it's so, it's so interesting to me because I really do, I reflect, you know, I mean, I can't say that my relationships um, with certain family members or the experience of sitting around a holiday table hasn't gotten easier to navigate as my body changed. And that's tragic that I get less comments about what's on my plate now at a holiday table because I exist in a smaller fat body. Mm. And it's, to me, it, it, it's heartbreaking because it tells me that some of the most important people in my life do equate my weight with my worth whether they know that they're doing that or not and whether they know that the basis of that can be rooted in trauma or not. Um, You know, I really struggle with the way that we push our own experiences onto children. And I think so much about how that has impacted the course and trajectory of my life. Um, and that I didn't derive any joy from any Jewish holiday until I was old enough to redefine and reshape and experience them on my own. Mm. And then I was able to come back into family spaces. And that's, to me, like, that's, that's really heartbreaking. Um, and it's hard to, to fully feel love and joy around a holiday table now because there's that overtone of, you know, I'm always going to wonder whether it's easier now because I'm smaller than I was. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's a piece of that feeling that's rooted in something very true. And it's a dark, ugly, twisted feeling that really, um, it's, it's, I've gained and learned so much and from now my own understanding of Judaism that I developed um, and my own relationship with faith that I developed over the last four or so years. And it's hard. It's hard because I feel like I'm constantly navigating that push and pull of um, this is better, but is it better for the right reasons? And do you just shut up and sit with that? Or, um, you know, will I ever get to unpack that with people that I do believe truly care about me and have positive intent, but the negative impact, you know, has been so visceral. Mm. Mm. Yeah. There's so much and there's, there's, I'm looking at so many bullets on our little discussion section that we didn't even get to, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I am looking at the time and I want to, of course, respect uh, Rachel's evening. Uh, So, you know, thank you so much for, for coming on today, Rachel. Um, You've lent, lent, 
lend it. I think lent so much to the conversation. Lent. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, we really appreciate you taking the time. Um, is there, or, or I'm sure there is, because I know there is, <laughs> would you mind sharing uh, ways that everyone can, you know, seek out your work, whether it's social media, websites, et cetera? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram at Rachel underscore Tuckman, T-U-C-H-M-A-N, Tuckman, um, underscore L-M-H-C. Um, you can also find me on my website at racheltuckman.com. Um, and that I plan to be sharing a lot more content there, trying to like get away a little bit from, from Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, those are like the two main areas to find me. My website is, is the best way to, to reach out to me if there's, you know, if, if anyone wants to get in touch. Um, yeah. It's amazing. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. I, you know, thank really you. Actually, Ash, before yeah. Rachel hops off, I just yeah. wanted to say a specific thank you to you yeah. both because like that last piece of my share was very much me processing some of that in real time. And I mm-hmm. can imagine given the professional work that you two do, that was probably evident. Um, and <laughs> it was heavy and it was real and it was, you know, significant for, for me to, you know, to have this space for, for processing some of that aloud. So I wanted to thank you both specifically for, um, allowing me to take our conversation in that direction, creating space for it, um, and just letting it happen and just letting it go. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for sharing it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's exactly what we want here. So I think it it fits. All right. Well, have a lovely evening, Rachel. And thank you again for for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Okay. All right. Um, Anything you want to chat a little bit about before we close? I know we we talked about a lot. We barely covered half. (laughs) I was going to say, there's going to be a follow-up episode to this. I know it. Um, We, you know... Y'all, when Ash and I do our planning calls, the ideas just like flow out of us. And it's so in all of our episodes thus far, I feel like you've heard us say, Ash and I were chatting off mic, or Lord, I were chatting <laughs> off mic. And it's like, it's because our texts and our planning calls and our Instagram DMs are just a stream of consciousness about it's a lot, <laughs> so much more than gets encapsulated in these episodes. And then these episodes become a stream of consciousness. And we're like, Basically. oh, cool. We did this whole planning call and it has gone somewhere else. And that's beautiful. And I love that for us. And I wouldn't change it. So, um, no, <laughs> I think we're just going to have to do another episode on white stigma in the Jewish community. That's great. I mean, I, you know, I think we've talked a lot and, and we spoke a little bit in the beginning of the episode about how part of the reason that we wanted to do this here is because it's, it's, it's more expansive. And, you know, I think that's evident in the fact that I don't know that we've had an episode yet that we weren't like, I think we need a part two. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I think that means that we're doing what we set out to do, which I think is good. I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, on that note, Thank you so much for joining us today on Kvetching on the Couch. As a reminder, we use this space to talk about difficult topics. And so it is of the utmost importance that you do at least one thing to take care of yourself today, even if it's just a deep breath. 
And as always, we hope that this conversation was at the very least validating for those of you listening. Um, someone did tell me last week's episode was quote unquote enlightening. So maybe this one was too. Um, I, you know, we always value your feedback. So you can feel free to reach out to Ash or myself um, via our Instagram platforms that we will um, remind you of in a moment, though most of you who are in this space are already aware of them. Um, or you can drop a comment on this episode on call in. Yes. And next week, we will be talking about mm. anti-Semitism in eating disorder mm. treatment. Will we? Will we? No. Can I write that wrong? No. Next week, we won't be talking about anti-Semitism <laughs> in eating disorder treatment. But that we is will enough be in a future episode. episode. Um, no, we will not be talking about anti-Semitism and eating disorder treatment because I am not going to be present for, is that wrong? Am I a week no. off? Are we talking no, about anti-Semitism? Off. Yes. Uh, wow. And that's for your tracing in real time. As I said, I'm a week off. Well, the week after next, we won't be talking about anti-Semitism and eating disorder treatment. And next week we will. <laughs> Sorry, so, yeah. So yeah, totally you can come catch with us about that on Thursday. I was like, did I like really did I fuck no, up? I that? <laughs> uh, we both have our moments, and that's part of why I love this space so much. But you can come catch with us about anti-Semitism and eating disorder treatment on Thursday, March 3rd, live at 7 p.m. We do already have one guest in place for that episode. If you are interested in speaking about anti-Semitism and eating disorder treatment, please reach out to Ash or yes, myself via know. DM. And episode recordings will be posted tonight on the call-in app. You can keep up with me and Ash directly through our various platforms. For me, that's at the Healing Happy Cook on Instagram. And you can access my Instagram community through my profile on call-in as well. And you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and most social at Badash Therapy. And on my website at ashleymsuria.com. And I will also add a little comment with links to all of those things so that they're nice and accessible. Uh, and a big thank you to January Sunshine for all of the music provided in this episode. And the biggest of thank yous to Rachel for joining us today and for Laura for her time, as always. I appreciate you. Yes. Let's just do that outro jingle and then we'll be signing off for the evening. Mm-hmm. Good night, everyone.